Pharaoh, do you copy? Standing by. Prep for dust off. We're gonna need immediate evac. Roger. On our way. Say we take off, nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Let's do it. saying someone's not a genius. You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. 
And this is episode number 251, Aliens. Game over, man. Just the best Bill Paxton performance. Stop your grinning and drop your linen. That's right. (laughs) Hey, listen, James Cameron takes a lot of shit for his dialogue, and rightfully so, but there's some super fun lines in this one. I actually think the dialogue's pretty good in this movie. Yeah. This is our return to the Alien franchise. We discussed the original May 14th, 2019, about two and a half years ago, I guess you'd say. We're jumping back in, probably one of the great sequels of all time. Maybe we'll discuss that a little bit more as we go. I've completely lost sight of the episodes we've done at this point. Like, I know that we did Alien. Like, I remember doing that, but our catalog is so deep now. Deep catalog. And you just like the the moment in time when we did the episodes, just a, a blur to me now. Well, that tends to happen. Yeah. I get super committed to the current topic for a few days or a week or whatever, and then it's gone, and you move on to the next one. That's right. Before we discuss Aliens... From 1986, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. That's a perfect place to let us know. If you'd like a free sticker, we can send that out to you. Yeah, I got some cool new stickers. I only have 10 of them, but I have like some holographic ones that the company that made the last set of stickers just put out a promotion that they had this material available, and if you sent something in, they would make these, and I got some Greatest Moments ones, so I'm just going to randomly... Mix those in with sticker requests. Everyone who already got a sticker is just fuming. Disqualified. (laughs) Just fuming. Life's unfair. It's also a pretty good place to let us know if you have a listener request, which we would probably get to in 2022 at this point. We have one more coming up this year. We're going to get to sometime in December. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Podbean, wherever. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Z-A-C-H-1983, and Matt Crosby. Making that big end-of-the-year push. Get our final check-ins in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really important. It's crucial. Yeah, but we're getting to the theater. I will say my 2021 check-ins when I look at my overall stats, are like way more shot up than any other year. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I think it's just, I mean, everything that I watch is like completely random. Like it might, I'll watch like a 1944 movie, then a 1978 movie. So it's like the most amount of movies that came out in one year is 2021. I wouldn't be surprised if mine was 1986 <laughs> or 87, <Yeah>. <laughs> something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I think that's everything. So let's jump into Aliens. Written and directed by James Cameron. This is the first James Cameron movie we're covering on the show. Yeah, responsible for probably two of the best, biggest sequels of all time. This and Terminator 2. Yeah. Well, at least Terminator 2 was a sequel to his own movie. That's he right. stepped in yeah. and did the sequel to Alien when a lot of people were telling him not to do it because he was never going to get credit for anything good that came out of it. Yeah, looking back, it does seem weird. I don't know how it seemed at the time. It just seems weird that... Oh, well, his inexperience definitely was a factor in the production of this film and the way he was treated and then the, okay. the feuding going on between him and the all-British crew. and It was a whole big troubled yeah. production. I'm not in this camp. I love the original. I do like this movie quite a bit as well. But there are people out there that argue Aliens is the one of this series. Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons is probably people who were of the age uh, in the 80s yeah. are the people who argue 
about movies more. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So this is the definitive one because right. it's from their childhood or they saw it at the right age. And this movie is super fun. I mean, as far as like big production action movies go, nonstop. The story was by Cameron, David Geiler, and Walter Hill, who I believe were involved oh. with the OG. Budget eighteen point five million, which is so crazy. That's yeah, I know. Even that's with wild. inflation, that's very low. It, for it this type seems of movie. like a hundred million plus budget. Looking at the final product, box office was anywhere between one hundred thirty one point one and one hundred eighty three point three million. Evidently, the international numbers in nineteen eighty six were very hard to track and mm. unreliable. So I'm guessing he was uh, able to work with bigger budgets after this. Well, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm thinking Titanic probably had the highest budget ever <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I'd say so. The film was also nominated for seven Academy Awards. It won two for Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing, and Best Effects Visual Effects. Yeah, you'd think like set design. But one of the notable nominations was for Sigourney Weaver for Best Actress, which was very uncommon for science fiction and horror and those type of genre films to be recognized by the Academy. Yeah. So even just scoring the nomination was a pretty big deal. The talented Ms. Ripley. <laughs> wow. <It> stinks. <laughs> One of the worst Boo. jokes you've ever made. <laughs> that was rough. Took years to develop for a variety of reasons. There were a lot of lawsuits in the wake of the original Alien film. And for whatever reason, and I found this particularly shocking, there was a general lack of enthusiasm from Fox for this project they just didn't think of alien as a movie that should have a sequel even though it was a success they evidently thought it was sort of a fluke and a one-time thing yeah and they weren't really enthused about this it's shocking to me because for me probably the best on-screen monster i've ever seen is the alien i would just be like this is a gold mine I, i know like Sci-fi is a tricky genre, but I would just be like, we could make this monster work many times over. And they would go on to do that. I do think that the general feeling of sequels was different. And they weren't in the mindset that people are in now, which is everything needs to have pre-existing IP to move forward. That just wasn't the mindset. It was more everything needs to be new and fresh. A sequel, I think, used to always be like, let's try to do the same thing for cheaper. Sometimes. Yeah. I do think the budget of Aliens was more than Alien. Okay, right. But it was seven years later also. Yeah. So it should be more just based on inflation. I've just heard of that over time. Like There were movies that, oh, the first movie was a hit, so I expected like the next one to have a bigger budget, but it's like, a lower budget. I'm sure that's true sometimes, but I yeah. think the opposite is true a lot too. Sure. I'm sure it is. It just depends on the situation. There was also a lot of repeated changes in management at Fox. So if somebody would come in and would be pushing it forward, then they would leave, and then it would sort of hang around and do nothing. Yeah, having an executive believe in your project seemed to really be a thing that dictated movies for a long time. So they brought in James Cameron to write the script in 1983, and they were impressed by his scripts for Rambo First Blood Part 2 and also The Terminator, which had yet to come out. But the script obviously had been floating around, so people read it. Oh, what year did Terminator come out? 
84. Okay. So they were excited for him to write it, and then after the success of The Terminator in 1984, they agreed to let him direct it as well, and evidently the project was never offered to Ridley Scott at all. No, I didn't know that. And I guess Scott thought that his reputation was that he was difficult to work with or something. I don't really know what the deal was. It just seems like so much time had passed and that may have played a part in it where maybe, you know, they assumed that he wasn't interested. Okay. Maybe because he wasn't pushing for it. I always assumed that he was at least offered. I, I didn't realize that. One of the other obstacles that came up was getting Sig Weaves back on board. She wasn't that interested in doing it, first of all. Second of all, the studio didn't really want her because they just assumed that she would want too much money. So they were just like, no. (laughs) Without even talking to her, they were just like, no thanks. But Cameron was adamant that they needed Sigourney Weaver to be in the movie. It seems like it's the draw to the project if you're continuing this storyline. And so then there was a whole thing where it was a protracted negotiation time period that would go on forever and ever so then like the camera would leak information to an agent that Schwarzenegger shared with Sigourney Weaver like oh we're writing her out like we're killing her off so that it would get back to Weaver so that she would hurry up and sign it you know as if they were like making adjustments on the fly eventually she signs on there are a lot of differences in aliens from the original alien film Obviously, one of the biggest differences is the difference in tone, which leads to potentially a difference in genre altogether. The original is much more of a suspenseful, almost horror film in space. Definitely. And Aliens is basically a war movie in space. Yeah. It just feels like a nonstop action ride. They were unable to get H.R. Giger to do the effects who designed the original Alien, famously. He was in the middle of Poltergeist 2, the other side, maybe, something like that. So they bring in Stan Winston to do the effects for this movie. I would say, I think, apart from Ripley, it does feel like the connective tissue is in the set design, even the bringing back of of a droid character. Oh, yeah, the through lines are still there. It just, the tone of the movie is just completely different. Absolutely. I think aesthetically... It's a natural evolution because it's seven years since they made Alien, but it's set 57 years later. Some things seem a little bit better. Yeah, so obviously there's, there's some changes which can be explained away just by the passage of time. As I referenced earlier, like the development of the film, the filming itself was very tumultuous. It, it turned into Cameron versus the crew at times. They didn't take him seriously because of his lack of experience. Supposedly, the British wow. crew was much more laid back. How would you like to be the people that work in the film industry that didn't take James Cameron seriously? <laughs> Think about the career opportunities later on down the road just missed because you're just a dick to this dude. Well, I'm pretty sure he was a dick back. He kind of yeah. has that reputation. Okay. <laughs> I don't but think anyone been... came out of this looking great. Yeah, but he's worked with a lot of the same people, at least acting-wise. Yeah, he's had some rough relationships with actors as well but a lot of them have come back i know that mary elizabeth master antonio hated him after the abyss 
Kate Winslet had a hard time with him too. Although supposedly okay. she's in these Avatar sequels that may one day be released. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, James Cameron just loses friends then. So do you have this amongst the great sequels of all time? Definitely. I mean, if you're making a list, this is not only on it, it's somewhere towards the top. Yeah, it's hard to say what truly would qualify for that list and what doesn't. I guess most people would say anything that comes after the original film counts. So even if it's a part of a trilogy like Indiana Jones or Star Wars or something like that, then those would count too. The weird thing is the different scales that you use to judge things. Yeah. So like in our minds, Halloween three <laughs> right. is incredible yeah. because it's, it's a Halloween sequel. We love it. Is that one of the great sequels of all time though? Yeah. It's sort of a weird comparison to try to make. I know it is everything that counts. Oh, my mind always goes to the second movie. When I think of a sequel, the first place I go is the original follow-up to the first. Even though everything does technically count. I agree that it counts. I'm just telling you where my mind goes when you say sequel. Well, my mind goes throw horror out the window because it's impossible because there's so (laughs) many sequels and you're judging them based on their relativity to the first original movie. So obviously- Jason takes Manhattan comes (laughs) Well, I was going to say, we like the final chapter of the Friday the 13th movies, but that's also in comparison to the other Friday the 13th movies- you're not really judging it the same way you would judge Godfather Part 2. No, I don't think so. <laughs> it is the same ones that famously come up conversationally. Like you said, Godfather Part 2. Some people argue that's one of the few that's better than the original. Empire Strikes Back, of course. But Aliens is right up there with the ones that always are mentioned in that conversation. Yeah, I'm wondering if we could come up with any interesting ones to throw out there, but probably not. I always kind of like <laughs> Ghostbusters too. I know that one doesn't get a lot of love, but I thought... Wow, a lot of people hate that. I know. I don't think it's as funny as the first one, but I felt like they were able to recapture the vibe. All right. Yeah. There's a little bit of an interesting monkey wrench thrown into it. Yeah. I would definitely say Aliens is up there for me because if we're going to go by Letterboxd, I have Alien as a five-star film, and I have Aliens as a five-star film as well. Whoa, okay. To me, it matches the quality. They're two different types of films, so I understand preference. If you prefer a quieter, slower, smaller, suspenseful horror type film, you're going to like the first one. I'm in that camp. If you enjoy a big, bombastic action war adventure, you're going to prefer the second. But they overlap in terms of the character of Ripley and the alien creature itself and some of the other things, like the technology or the androids or whatever. So they're a part of the same universe, but you're going to go your own way in terms of your own personal preference in terms of style yeah yeah and you have two great filmmakers ridley scott and james cameron doing their own thing with it it's actually almost disappointing the back half or even two-thirds now of james cameron's career absolutely it seems like we should have gotten other cool shit in the last 25 years instead we got titanic and then avatar and then nothing else and now all these avatar sequels that are supposedly going to happen well, it seems like there should have been other cool shit in there. Yeah, I know. It's it's definitely been a bummer. And now all we ever hear about is this Avatar stuff that seemingly is never going to happen. Or is, but it's next year. It's always one more year. Whatever year <laughs> it is, it's it's next year. But I mean, what they had with this franchise was kind of cool and unique in its own way. There's a lot of weird thoughts about the third one, and rightfully so. But 
to have Ridley Scott, James Cameron, and then David Fincher does the next entry. And it's Fincher's first film. So let's talk about the Alien sequels for a minute. Usually we would do that at the end, but at the end I want to focus more on just Alien 3, which we can talk about a little yeah. bit now. So they bring in Fincher to do the third. The tone of it is just off. Absolutely. It's trying to be something that just doesn't mesh with Aliens. And so you have this huge movie that came out in 86, cut to, what, another five, six, seven years, yeah. you get to Alien 3. Anybody who was excited by Aliens is going to be horrified by Alien 3. Can I just say, if I heard the elevator pitch for Alien 3, which, I, you know, the final product I think is okay, but I just would have been like, I don't think this is the direction we want to go. Yeah. There's a better angle here. It's almost trying to recapture more of the tone of the original, but it's too late. Right. The toothpaste is out of the tube, as <laughs> yeah, you like to say. That's it, right. it, you can't go back now. You've created something else. How do you feel about the two alien prequels that we've received thus far? I like Prometheus. I, I thought Alien Covenant was terrible. Yeah. Alien Covenant, oddly enough, seems to be getting a following these days. It's getting a push. I never really liked it when we saw it. I, I rewatched it this year, still didn't like it. I only ever saw it in the theater, but I, I just thought it was terrible then and can't really see myself. I, I'm sure I'll revisit it at some point, but I, I'm in no rush. I think if you love Prometheus, as we both do, or at least I do, I, I love it. I, I like it. I don't know if I'm ready to say I love it, but Oof. <laughs> I, I like it quite a bit. Covenant yeah. just goes and undoes it all. Yeah, just which basically erases anything good that came out of Prometheus, which is a huge disappointment. You want more with Numi Rapace's character. Absolutely. You want more with that timeline, and then they just turn it into this somewhat generic horror movie with the alien jumping out of things, and yeah, it becomes very basic by the end. Even everything they do with the David character, I, I wasn't really that into. I thought he was a great character in Prometheus. Yeah. I might actually like the beginning the best. That weird yeah. intro with Guy Pierce's weirdo character. That's right. It takes place in the past on yes. that timeline. Because in Prometheus, we get the old ass Guy Pierce. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would have Alien number one still, but Aliens right behind it, like yep. a 1A, 1B type situation. Then I would put Prometheus third. Then I would probably put alien three then see i think covenant yeah. and then resurrection is i, the I don't know maybe i need to watch both of them and put them next to each other but i know resurrection stinks but i really just did not think covenant was good at, at all resurrection i just don't like because there's some real goofball shit in it that's with true our boy yes. from fucking clueless dan hedaya the dad <laughs> he's almost in like a slapstick comedy is ron perlman in it too yeah yeah it's a rough cast outside of weaver and winona, winona. yeah and the cgi is embarrassing it's yes. embarrassing okay. cgi right. i believe that the ending is also really weird too yeah maybe it's just the time away from it it seems better to i i haven't seen it in years but i just i, I don't know covenant I, I was not big on at all covenant is nothing good but it's more watchable? Yeah, it's just serviceable. It's okay. just There's nothing embarrassing about it. It's just not great. You're just kind of like bored with it. One day, I'll revisit the two when I go to check them in on Letterboxd, and that'll be my definitive take on where they fall. <laughs> before we get any further, there's a couple of characters we need to point out before we address the rest of the cast. I want to talk about Jeanette Goldstein as Private Vasquez. 
which you were unaware of the situation there. No, just and I not, had to clue you yeah, in. Not something I've ever followed. It's something I didn't know about years ago, but I've known about it recently. Well, I just really didn't know this actress like at all. So I mean, I see looking her up that she does appear in some of other James Cameron's movies, but I don't think I would have saw her as like the Irish mom in Titanic and been like, oh, that's Vasquez. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, there's a character, Private Vasquez, who seems to be a Latina woman. And Vasquez is actually played by Jeanette Goldstein, who is Caucasian, and she is basically in brown face with an accent, with contacts. Yes. The whole deal. It's Robert De Niro in Tropic Thunder. Robert Downey Jr. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that would have been wild if it was Robert De Niro. Except it's not a joke. Yeah. The difference is, and sometimes people don't realize this because you still sometimes see people tweet stuff out about Tropic Thunder is like, that's the joke. Right, right. Is that a white person would do that. But this is for real. I think it flies under the radar a little bit because Vasquez is not a main character. It's not an actress we know. It's a movie people generally want to like. Yeah. A lot of people probably on the surface level aren't going to explore it like you, like just unaware that it's a thing. Yeah. It is weird. Yeah. It is definitely something that would never happen now. Right. Like, I'm only a casual Aliens fan. Like, I think it's a great movie, but I don't watch it very often. And if you do, you're not going to be Wikipediaing the whole thing. Certainly not Vasquez. Although she does have more lines than most. The other character I wanted to point out was Mark Rolston as Private Drake. We are one episode removed from me saying that the actor that plays Boggs in Shawshank Redemption, Mark Ralston, only appeared in The Departed, which was obviously a joke, but it's hilarious that we, of course, are <laughs> the doing- The next movie that we do. Oh, <laughs> the next... that guy. When I realized that, I was like, holy shit, I'm an <laughs> idiot. I'm like, oh yeah, Boggs, you know, we just did The Departed. He's in The Departed. We're actually doing three Mark Rolston movies in 2021. Yeah. We did The Departed. Now we did Shawshank, followed up by Aliens. If His we three could biggest get, things. Like the Letterboxd stats page for like the <laughs> movies that we've done, like this actor would show up on our list of like most done material. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe that I forgot he was in Aliens after making a big pronouncement. <laughs> So very quickly before we get into the story itself, with Aliens, one of the big things is the special edition, which first arrived in 1991 on a Laserdisc with the added 17 minutes. This is the preferred version of James Cameron. He only trimmed out the minutes at the request of the studio because they wanted to try to cram more showtimes per day. I think that's for box office reasons. It's not a short runtime. The theatrical cut is like two hours and 15 minutes, right? Yeah, it was 17 additional minutes, which brought it up over to, it was like two hours and 34 minutes, the special edition. But this kicked off the boom in director's cuts and special editions. Oh, this was the one. Yeah, this came out on the 91 Laserdisc, and then the 90s, this started to become a trend. It's interesting, though, because they call it the special edition. They call the other edition of Alien, the director's cut, even though that's not actually Ridley Scott's director's cut, yeah. and he prefers the theatrical version. Cameron, it's the opposite, and they call it special edition, and it is a director's <laughs> cut. I don't really know the terminology why they did it, but I guess Cameron does that a lot, though. He calls his director's cuts special editions, and he has done it for a few of his films. Gotcha. But anyway, I'm going to run through some of the differences. I'm actually in the middle. 
we are going to mostly focus on the theatrical cut when we go through it. And I like the theatrical cut probably a little bit better. But I wish there was like an in-between. And they took some of the stuff and added it to the theatrical cut. So I wouldn't have all 17 of these minutes. But a few things I think would make the story make a little bit more sense. Not that it doesn't make sense, but it would sort of tie everything together better. Right. And provide some more emotional impact. Especially the first thing, which is the death of Ripley's daughter. It's almost like an interstellar type situation. Yes. She's been in hypersleep. Her daughter back on Earth has aged and lived her whole life. That is always a mind fuck when they throw that angle into these movies. It does seem like it would drive you nuts. They cut all of that out, and Sigourney Weaver was livid. Oh, really? They cut this out. Well, I mean, it does seem like it builds something into the whole maternal relationship she has with Newt. Yeah. It gives it a little bit more meat. She considered this to be like a crucial part of her story in the movie and was not happy that they cut this out. I think this is one of the things they could have kept in it. I think it's better with that in it. Just the fact that you spend some time building that into her backstory. Yeah, and then her ties to Newt later feel more organic. Like You get 100% what's going on. They also show us a preview of Hadley's Hope, the colony on LV-426, which we don't see in the theatrical cut. We actually see Newt's family, and Newt, and her family riding out to the derelict spaceship at the request of Burke through other agents probably, but that's where it originates the orders to go check this place out. Uh-huh. We see Newt's father with a face hugger wrapped around his face. Grim. Which starts the whole ordeal and leads to everything that happens in the movie, basically. He was the first one. This is a very cool sequence, but I'm glad it's cut in a way because... I like being plunged into this place for the first time with Ripley and the Marines when they arrive. It's interesting, though, to see it when there's people. Because it's actually an extended sequence. It's not just her family. You see people on the base. yeah, And you're like, why are these people living here? How much money are they getting paid to do this? Because it doesn't seem worth it. It seems (laughs) so horrifying there. Even besides the alien creatures. Yeah. It's so disturbing. I don't know. It doesn't seem like something I'd be volunteering for. That does sound interesting to me. I'm with you that I think it's better for the movie not having it, but it's fun that it exists. Yeah, it's cool to check out if you're a fan of the the story and the movie. I think the ideal way to see it is probably experience the theatrical cut first, and then you can dive into this other stuff. Another major addition to the film comes in the form of several separate sequences involving the use of automated robot sentry guns to defend the colony from the xenomorphs. more battle shit, basically, with these special kind of guns. There's more talk of the queen before we actually see her. Who's talking about it? Speculating. There's a conversation that is in the theatrical cut where they are like, well, somewhere these eggs are coming from. But they do it in a way where it's so quick, where to the first-time viewer, you're not picking up the clue that we're going to see something crazy later Uh it's actually perfect the way it is and the director's cut or the special edition cut they lay it on a little too thick where you're like okay so obviously we're going to see something later that's crazy most of the scenes that are different are just added on there's like way more dialogue extended sequences obviously anything involving ripley's daughter then gets cut later because newt asks her about if she has kids and then there's a whole conversation and You know, just more stuff like that. I think ultimately, though, both 
versions are pretty cool. And you're not going to go wrong either way. If you love Alien, the original movie, but you've never seen Aliens for some reason, you're like, well, which one should I watch? It doesn't really matter. Yeah, They're both going to be great. I'd recommend the uh, theatrical cut because it's shorter. <laughs> yeah, the suspense building in the special edition is even longer. The yeah. anticipation, because a lot of the added stuff is towards the first half of the film before you really get involved with the xenomorphs and everything. Yeah. I mean, listen, I do love this movie. It's a super fun time, but it is at least a little bit guilty of the endings that just drag on. Yeah, but dude. I know. They're cool. They are cool. <laughs> the last ending is so fucking cool. I know. It's awesome. <laughs> it's like one of the coolest endings ever, I think. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. But I think they could have cut out some of the other endings. The other moments where it seemed like it maybe was the end. Yo! Stop your grinning and drop your linen. Following the incident aboard the Nostromo, which are the events of Alien from 1979, sole survivor Ellen Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, is rescued from her drifting shuttle and revived. Upon waking, she is devastated to learn she has been adrift in space for 57 fucking years. Yeah, wow. Everyone I knew, mostly dead now. How great would it be to sleep for 57 years, though? I bet you you'd feel super refreshed. <laughs> like, in a way that I just haven't ever experienced in my life. Yeah, it would be awesome to check out for almost six decades. You'd probably be, like, pretty groggy, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, like, it is weird how fresh-faced these people are when they come out of these things. It seems yeah. like... Oh, man, the amount of... You'd have to relearn how to walk and stuff. The amount of drool on my face... <laughs> You would drown in that pod over oh, 57 yeah. years. Whenever I sleep for a long time, I wake up like super hungry too. I would imagine that McDonald's order after 57 years. Can I get a 100 piece nugget, please? <laughs> yeah, that's usually if I take like a 57 minute nap. Yeah. <laughs> we meet Paul Reiser as Carter Burke, who's a company man. This was Reiser's first major part. He had popped up in Diner in the early 80s. He had a part in Beverly Hills Cop as well, but this is a pretty major role for him. Burke, just a disgusting slime ball. Just (laughs) as bad as they get. We did an episode on Red Oaks, the Amazon series. That's right. A couple of years ago, in which Paul Reiser stars, and it's set in the 80s, and one of the characters goes to see aliens, and then they sort of make a joke in a way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is always kind of lame, but always... Kind of funny, too. Kind of funny, it's yeah. It's kind of good. <laughs> to further your point, though, Burke does have untrustworthy vibes I almost guess immediately. Maybe he, he represents a little bit of that 80s capitalist greed. <laughs> For some reason. Yeah. Stand-up comedian Paul Reiser represents <laughs> 80s right. capitalist greed. Yeah. In space, where there is no one else like him. No other character in this movie is like that. It's like he's so far removed from what that society would be in the environment that he's in. Well, he has a lot of big dreams of making a name for himself, which we'll get into later. Sure. The logistics of his dream, though, seem not worth the risk, unless he's just a total idiot who can't figure out how dangerous this is. Yeah, he seems to lose himself a bit. But the opening scene where we meet Burke is actually a dream. Oh, yeah. Presumably, this version of this conversation has happened between Ripley and Burke, but the version we see is a dream that ends with, 
an alien bursting through Ripley's chest. Yeah. Which is a nightmare that will plague her in her days waking up outside of that pod thing. There is some version of this movie that this could have been the, the opening where they can only get Sigourney Weaver to come to agree to shoot for like one day. So then this is how they start the movie off. Yeah, it would be like Halloween Resurrection, which is weird yeah. because Halloween is the other franchise that used the word resurrection in a terrible sequel. <laughs> but Alien Resurrection does not do that. Yeah. Instead, she's like a clone. I know, which is super weird. <laughs> that part in Alien Resurrection is super messed up when they walk into all the abomination. That's probably the coolest part. It is, yeah, I know. Like, it's actually disturbing. I don't understand this. We have been here for three and a half hours. Now, how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Look at it from our perspective, please. Please. Now, you freely admit to detonating the engines of and thereby destroying an M-Class Star Freighter, a rather expensive piece of hardware. Forty-two million in adjusted dollars. That's minus payload, of course. The lifeboat's flight recorder corroborates some elements of your account, in that, for reasons unknown, the Nostromo set down on LV-426, an unsurveyed planet at that time, that it resumed its course and was subsequently set for self-destruct by you for reasons unknown. Not for reasons unknown. I told you. We sat down there on company orders to get this thing, which destroyed my crew and your expensive ship. The analysis team, which went over the lifeboat centimeter by centimeter, found no physical evidence of the creature you described. Good. That's because I blew it out of the goddamn airlock. Like I said. Are there any species like this hostile organism on LV-426? No, it's a rock. No indigenous life. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? Ma'am, I already said that it was not indigenous. It was a derelict spacecraft. It was an alien ship. It was not from there. Do you get it? We homed in on its beacon. And found something never recorded once in over 300 surveyed worlds. A creature that gestates inside a living human host. These are your words. And has concentrated acid for blood. That's right. Look. I can see where this is going, but I'm telling you that those things exist. Thank you, Officer Ripley. That will be all. Please, you're not listening to me. Kane, the crew member, Kane, who went into that ship, said he saw thousands of eggs there. Thousands. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. At an inquest before a panel of executives, Ripley's testimony regarding the alien and its role in the destruction of the Nostromo is met with skepticism as no physical evidence of the creature has been found. So this is a reminder of the company that Ripley has worked for in Alien and Burke works for now and that all this is tied in with is Wayland yutani which is a through line through all of the alien pictures, including the prequels. That's right. Just your generic evil corporation. I was saying to you before we started recording that one of the things I love about Alien and the Alien franchise is the the slow rollout 
of the world building. It's like a drip drab of information and lore throughout Definitely. all of the movies. And I don't want to get too carried away with that because that's one of the things that I think is super lame about modern takes about films and TV shows is like, ooh, world building, <laughs> lore. It's like, okay, well, who cares? If the story sucks, it sucks. If it's good, it's good. I yeah. mean, people get really marvelized by like, oh, let's connect all these different things or let's build this all these different characters like Star Wars that, or Game of Thrones or something where it just like, spirals into this never-ending it's a uh, history no- fake history uh, it's a novelty that people enjoy but the most important thing is the story which alien does well and i think it's kind of cool that you need to see all of these movies and even though when they wrote the original script for alien yep. and they made the movie in 79 they could have never have imagined all this different shit they do it in a way where you get like, oh, here's a little bit more about Whalen Utani, or yeah. here's the history of this company. Well, I think there's a sweet spot, and to your point, the slow rollout works better because my favorite time of Game of Thrones was first coming in and having like this vast history, but you're only getting little pieces of it. And then the more you get up to speed on everything, the less fun it all seems. <laughs> well, that's usually the case with anything. Yeah, I know. No, I know. It's true, which is why I think this approach of just kind of giving you little nuggets is more effective. Yeah, it's more fun when the viewers have to put it together, too. Right. And not just tell you every single thing about everything. Yep. In fact, you can enjoy all of the Alien movies, including Prometheus and Covenant, without ever even realizing the name of the company is Weyland yutani or connecting any of that stuff. Because it's not really that important to the superficial enjoyment of what's going on. Yeah. Which is just aliens killing people. <laughs> I did like that the damage she caused was only $42 million. <laughs> It's like, what? Yeah. They have no concept of inflation. They probably were like, in 1986, they're like, yeah, $42 million, That sounds about right. Meanwhile, yeah. if they had some spaceship that could travel galaxies away, it would be like $42 trillion easily. Well, not to jump ahead in the movie, but one of my favorite parts in the entire movie is when she's basically like we got to nuke this place and burke is like no do you know it's a, like a multi-million dollar structure or whatever and she's just like bill me oh yeah that's I like one of my favorite down. lines all right well, we'll get to it but it's just <laughs> i mean it's along those, those same yeah, lines well, so. it's more like the delivery too yeah she's like they can bill me <laughs> just like what are you talking i know about? like we're like running for our lives here we're like whatever light years away from home yeah, Burke never seems to get the imminent threat of these things, I like know. how dangerous they are. Are you really caring about a bottom line on a piece of paper? The money is imaginary, essentially. <laughs> yeah, what Look are you at gonna... the situation well, that we're, we're about in. to be killed. <laughs> yeah, Ripley's claim of alien eggs in a derelict spacecraft on the exomoon LV-426 is met with skepticism because that very moon is now the site of the terraforming colony named Hadley's Hope. They take Ripley's spaceflight license, which, frankly, to me anyway, does not seem like it would be that big of an issue for her. (laughs) But evidently it is for some reason. I don't know why. I guess they had to come up with something that would make her change her mind, but I'm not really buying it. Evidently there's no jobs available. I'm kind of confused as to what's going on on Earth during this time period because couldn't, she doesn't seem to leave the space station. Well, couldn't they just tell her anything? <laughs> like, what does she know? About what? Just life. I mean, is there actually a path for her to get back home from here? I don't know. 
she seems to just be living on a space station working as a dock worker. I was taking that Burke has it in his mind that he wants her to be a part of this plan from Jump Street. Well, the thing that we don't know is that behind the scenes, Burke is sending some of the colonists on LV-426 to investigate her claims. Right. Because there's a specific quadrant on this moon or something, and he sends these people out there to look for the spaceship. That's one of the deleted scenes is seeing Newt's family be that family that goes out there. That's right. And I guess this is confirmation because I don't know. Maybe he's not sure whether or not to believe her either. Yeah, yeah. And so then he finds out secretly that this is true, and then his brain starts. He starts seeing money signs. Yeah, he's like, okay, we got to bring these things here, whatever this is. It's like Jurassic Park. It kind of is. We got to open a theme park. It's also similar in the sense that in that last horrible Jurassic Park movie. What was it called? Uh, Forbidden Kingdom. Fallen Kingdom. Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. They were like bidding on dinosaurs for like a million dollars. And it's like, so basically (laughs) any professional athlete could afford these. It's like not that much. (laughs) Tom Brady has a pet raptor. Ripley has got herself a job on the docks using a forklift operator. Soon enough, though, Burke, serving as a rep for Wayland yutani and... Colonial Marine Lieutenant Gorman arrive at Ripley's door and reveal mm-hmm. all contact has been lost with the colony on LV-426. I just feel like for Ripley there would have been something more after this. There's no debrief that they need to get her home to do or whatever. It's just find a job. Yeah, there does seem to be a little bit missing here, although you also were just saying that two hours and 17 minutes was enough. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, this, and like all the people that cared about this initial mission are now dead. So yeah, there's no family. There's That's no true. one she would even yeah. know. So she wakes up at this space station that they've brought her back to, which seems to be close to Earth. Yes, it does seem like it they're feels that close way. to Earth. But she's on this thing. She's recovering there, and now they've taken her space flight license. <laughs> Basically, they're like, "Well, we took your license. Good luck getting back to Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not driving you." <laughs> so she used to work on the docks. For some reason, all of this new technology hundreds of years in the future, but dock workers are basically still the same. Not automated. (laughs) No automation there. Yeah, she's a person without a home. There's nothing to go back to, I guess. Somewhere Wayland's like, we've spared no expense. (laughs) Burke and Gorman want Ripley to serve as an advisor and accompany a military outfit as they go to LV-426 to investigate. No. I would just be like, no. And that is what Ripley says at first. It does have that Jurassic Park 3 feel where Grant's going back to the island. Yeah. It's like, come on. 0.0. No chance chance. in hell is what we say. The company is offering to restore Ripley's flight status and pick up her contract if she will agree to go. Still no. Still a very (laughs) hard pass on this one. Imagine how scary it would be to live the movie Alien in real life. That's her life. Right. <laughs> we think it's scary as a movie. Yeah. <laughs> she was living it. <laughs> if you were one of those people on that plane that like landed in the Hudson River, are you ever getting back on a plane again after that? Probably not. I don't think so. Although I'm sure some of those people have. Probably, just because if you are people that travel the world, it makes it a little bit difficult if you're not going to use that means of transportation. Well, it's like Travis Barker. Yeah, yeah. He won't fly anymore, although I think he was trying to work his way back into doing it. Yeah. He's got some but he was new influences in his life. Going 
by boat. I know, so that's like all over the place. Wild. But I get it. It's the Ripley mentality. Neither are appealing to me. No. Not a big boat guy. <laughs> <laughs> Even huge boats. Yeah, just yeah. Like, oh. Obviously still very much traumatized by her prior experience, Ripley does initially refuse, but ultimately changes her mind once certain promises are made. There will be no studying of the xenomorphs and all creatures they encounter will be destroyed. Obviously, this is insane. There's no reason for her to believe this company. This company fucked her over and was willing to sacrifice everyone on her ship. And now she's just like, yeah, I'll take this guy at his word that this is what's happening. Yeah. What? Also, the thing that influences her decision is the nightmares. She can't seem to shake the nightmares. So it's almost like she needs to confront this head mm-hmm. on. Not for me. If I yeah. confronted the things from my nightmares. <laughs> They're just going to be worse. Yeah, really. <laughs> But I think that's what they're pushing, though, that idea that she keeps waking yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There's no peace, so she has to go back. And I guess maybe you could read into it that she wants to oversee their destruction. She wants to know that they're destroyed, and then maybe that will give her some kind of peace. Sure. So she's thinking, like, okay, we're going to take this military outfit out there. We're going to be yeah. prepared. I guess she says as much when she's basically like, we're going to kill them all, right? That's why we're going. You're not bringing any of these things back. Burke's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. This time they're taking a warship named Sulaco. Amongst the Colonial Marine squad, we have Michael Bean, That's frequent right. James Cameron collaborator, Yeah, as Corporal Hicks. Super cool dude. Bill Paxton as Private Hudson. Al Matthews as Sergeant Apone. RIP to both Bill Paxton and Al Matthews. In addition to Boggs and... Vasquez. I'm just going to call him Boggs. He's not yeah, in it that much. That's right. <laughs> they seem to have some kind of a weird... Is he Drake? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They have like a connection between yeah, those two. That's anyway. right. One of the things I found to be interesting amongst all of the little locker room talk of the Marines is there does seem to be an acknowledgement that aliens exist beyond just the xenomorphs that we're familiar with because they're talking about like fucking right. Arcturians or something? Well, you mentioned Starship Troopers before we recorded, but they talk about bug hunts a yeah. couple times, which is very reminiscent of Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. James Cameron had them read the book, okay. Starship Troopers. I see. That was a big part of it, gotcha. too. Yeah, that was definitely like an influence. All right. But yeah, it is interesting that they're just like, yeah, we were fucking Ar- Arcturians. So beyond <laughs> yeah. just xenomorphs, we're living in a world where alien life is common. There's right. other kinds of yes. aliens. It's a rescue mission. You'll love it. There's some juicy colonist daughters we have to rescue from their virginity. <laughs> Favorite duty. Dumbass colonists. What's this crap supposed to be? Cornbread, I think. It's good for you, boy. Eat it. Hey. You sure wouldn't mind getting some more of that Arcturian boom thing. Remember that time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Frost, but the one that you had was male. It <laughs> don't matter when it's Arcturian, man. <laughs> hey, Bishop, man. Do the thing with the Oh, knife. please. Oh, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah. Do it, man. It's great. All right, yeah. Come on, man. Hey, what are you doing, man? Hey, what are you doing? Come don't on, quit messing around, Drake. Come on. Bishop, hey, man. Hey, not me, man. <laughs> yeah, you. Hey, come on, come messing around. Don't come move. On. Trust me. <laughs> oh! 
Enjoy your meal. That wasn't funny, man. Is that going? Mr. Burke? Yeah, thanks. Looks like the new lieutenant's too good to eat with the rest of us, Grants. Boy's definitely got a corn cob up his ass. Thought you never missed, Bishop. You never said anything about an android being on board. Why not? It never, never occurred to me. It's just common practice. We always have a synthetic on board. I prefer the term artificial person myself. Is there a problem? I'm sorry. I don't know why I didn't even... Ripley's last trip out, the, the artificial person malfunctioned. Malfunctioned? There were problems, and uh, a few deaths were involved. I'm shocked. Was it an older model? Yeah, the Hyperdyne system's 128.2. Well, that explains it, and the U2s always were a bit twitchy. That could never happen now with our behavioral inhibitors. It is impossible for me to harm, or by a mission of action, allow to be harmed a human being. If you don't want some. Just stay away from me, Bishop. You got that straight? Guess you don't like the cornbread either. The big bugaboo for Ripley ends up being the presence of an android. We have Bishop this time, played by Lance Henriksen. Yeah, she's got a history here, so, you know, not quick to trust the artificial life forms. After what went down on the Nostromo with Ash, there's a lot of open hostility here from Ripley, early on at least. One of the things I noticed when they're in one of those huge docking bay stations early right. on that it's a straight up drawing the background okay which i never noticed before but when you pay super close attention they definitely made the sets seem bigger and more epic with drawing things gotcha which was just something that was common in movies up until probably the 90s until cgi got good enough right because as mentioned 18.5 million dollar budget even in 1986 Probably not going to be enough to cover everything they no. wanted to do in this movie. Oh, it, it looks so much bigger than that. And the scale of this seems way larger than the yeah. first movie. Yeah, I, I think they filmed most of it in England with that British crew. They had sets designed and everything. Yeah. But yeah, it feels like a bigger movie than the budget would suggest. For sure. We get to see Ripley in the exosuit cargo loader which plants a little seed for later. <laughs> yeah, something that might come back into play. Yeah, it's very Once Upon a Time in Hollywood-esque. All right. This little seed plant okay. here. <laughs> they arrive at LV-426, and a dropship delivers the expedition to the surface where they find the colony deserted. Frankly, I'm surprised that Ripley initially even accompanies them as far as she does. I'm surprised as soon as they get there and it's deserted, she's not like, this is wrong, we need to go. <laughs> yeah, let's Although, get out of here. on the other hand, what do you think this place looked like when it was inhabited? Doesn't seem like there's a lot going on at the colony. Yeah, it sucks. There's that <laughs> sign that you see outside yeah. that says bar. Oh, that's right, yeah. And if you do watch the special edition with Newt's family when they go to explore the derelict spaceship, they get outside without any kind of gear on and that happens in this movie too yeah because the terraforming created an atmosphere but regardless of if the air is breathable or not 
it seems like you're in a constant storm of some kind. That's right. It doesn't seem pleasant. No. So you're just like walking outdoors to go to this bar. Yeah. <laughs> they have like karaoke nights. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> just a miserable place to be. Oof. When they're on that drop ship headed down to the moon's surface, I will say the ship in the clouds looks bad and it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. A lot of the shit in this movie looks incredible still. As we've mentioned a trillion times on this podcast, we prefer practical effects, real stuff to CGI. Totally. But these are the moments where CGI helps. Yeah. <laughs> when you have a ship that's supposedly going through the sky in these clouds, you can tell it's like a green screen situation or right. something. It just doesn't look right. Gorman proves to be an inexperienced lieutenant. I definitely think that this feels intentional, probably on Burke's part. To bring in someone he that he's going to have control over. Someone he can influence. The colony's not only abandoned looking, but also fucked up, too. It's got ripped up walls and ceilings. Clearly, some shit has gone down here. <laughs> right. At one point, Gorman's like, okay, the area is secured. And Ripley starts freaking out. She's like, no, what do you mean? It's not secured. And he's just so dismissive. The area is secured, Ripley. Yeah. Like, all right. Well, where are all the colonists, then? I know, it seems like a huge place, and then two seconds later, it's secured. Yeah. We got this. Are they all huddled around in the gym right now? Spoiler alert, it's not secured. No. <laughs> <laughs> the soldiers discover makeshift barricades and battle signs in the main building, including evidence of acid, which we know to be the blood of these xenomorphs from the first movie. Yeah, and if anybody watched Ripley's little package that she put together for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I was saying to you earlier, because I had the special edition on when you got here, one of the things that does jump out to me is that the soldiers, the Marine characters, definitely don't seem like they're adequately prepared for everything they're going to encounter. They're treating this as if it's something they've more or less seen before. And yeah, Ripley puts together some sort of a, a package <laughs> that they're supposed to check out on a disc or something. Submission notes. And none of them seem to do it. They don't seem to know anything about the impregnation situation That's right. with the thing on the face bursting out of the stomach, all the different life cycle of the xenomorph things. They don't seem to know any of this stuff. You didn't read my disc. <laughs> it's a hell of a disc, Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> she actually wrote on her disc, Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. No bodies... Human or xenomorph, they haven't found anything. Instead, they do eventually discover two living xenomorph face huggers in containment tanks in the medical lab. So, for those of you unfamiliar with the original, the face hugger is the little thing that pops out of the egg, mm -hmm. latches onto the face. You do have to have somewhat of a working knowledge of the original alien film to appreciate all of these different. Things. That's true. Yeah, they don't spend a lot of time re-explaining it. I think you could figure it out and enjoy the film anyway, but yeah. you're not going to immediately recognize these things or right. understand them. Oh, the eggs. Everything in this movie and Alien and all the other aliens ha is very vaginal, sometimes phallic as well. The aliens' heads always seem to be very phallic, but when that fucking facehugger thing presses up against the jar, it definitely has like a vaginal quality to it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I definitely think that those 
type of things influenced H.R. Giger a lot. All right. And you can sort of see that in some of this material. I mean, all artists. Sure. Creating those kind of things. <laughs> Matt getting more and more uncomfortable like the further s- I'm pushing sinking this. Sinking into the sofa. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Where are we going with this? The Marines are equipped with movement detectors, which will factor into a lot of the key scenes that let them know when things are approaching. It's actually a pretty cool device created for the movie because it leads to a lot of suspenseful moments where you're not sure what's happening exactly. And then when it happens, you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) It's like a way for them to play tricks to some degree because it's one of those things where you think it should be somewhere based on what's showing on the screen, but it's not there in the capacity you would think. Next, the crew discovers a filthy and traumatized young girl nicknamed Newt. Filthy? Was that what was written into the script to describe her? That's just my own word. (laughs) The crew comes upon a filthy young girl. Well, she's covered in dirt. She is, yes. She's basically been living in these air ducts (laughs) alone. That's right. Not a lot of time for baths when you're dodging these... Yeah. horrifying monsters. No, you gotta give it to Newt. She's a survivor, for sure. They've killed Newt's family and pretty much everybody else, although we don't know what's going on yet. I did like Newt's little apartment <laughs> in the air ducts. I was basically like, that looks like how my apartment looks right before Matt's supposed to come over and then I'm desperately trying to like throw things away I gotta and tell you, clean things up. It doesn't look that different by the time I get here. <laughs> One of the times that I was watching this movie, and I'm going to say this was probably about 10 years ago, with a couple of friends, one of which is a listener of the show, Oh, I was convincing myself as I was watching it that Newt was played by a young Juno Temple. Wow. I was adamant that this was real in my head. I don't think I said it out loud, but I was just like, this has to be the case, even though, of course, it makes no sense. Yeah. It really is the actress Carrie Henn, who is American- Okay, I don't Ju- think I know her. Well, she was really a n- nothing else. Well, ever. that makes sense then. Juno Temple, by the way, was not even born when this movie came born out. Born in 89? <laughs> yeah. That's Huge okay. I, I mean, I probably would have been like, it's Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst is older than Juno Temple. Yeah, okay, so my <laughs> guess would have been better. <laughs> don't you think that she looks like a young Juno Temple, though, a um, little bit? I, you know, I wasn't... Analyzing that closely, but yeah, I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt on it. And she talks in a way that sometimes it sounds like she's masking a British accent, even though she is American. Yeah. Dunst, by the way, born in 82, so a candidate. <laughs> well, I think Nude is older than f- three or four. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Cutting the daughter angle out for Ripley certainly impacts the Nude storyline. Although they both do a convincing job, and it works. The film sure, sure. works. Yes, it but does. Obviously, the daughter thing was set up to further this yeah. connection between the two. And there's a specific part where you almost feel like Ripley with her history. I mean, it's not like anybody wants to leave a kid out there on their own. But with Ripley's history, don't you hit that part where you're able to just sort of cut it off and be like, that person's a lost cause. We need to move on. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I think so. I feel like how bad Ripley wants to get away from these friggin' things, which who can blame her? We find out that the colonists all had PDTs, which are personal data transmitters, so they're eventually going to locate them one way or another. Ripley asks Newt, don't you think you'd be safer here with us? Newt shakes her head no. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta give it to her. She's like, 
I've been fine living in this fucking vent by myself. <laughs> the future's got to be a little bit bleak, but... Yeah, but what do those aliens eat, though? That's a big question I would have. They rapidly grow. We know that from the first film. Yeah. I don't know what they eat. I don't know how they're so good at keeping people alive when they attack them, because it seems like most of their body is pretty lethal. <laughs> like Their blood is acid. They have this <laughs> thing that comes out and like impales people's heads. Like They have little mouth yeah. in big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to mess with the double I, I don't know how they're so skilled at keeping people alive. They do a pretty effective Bishop tease here, obviously working off of the pre-established knowledge of Ash from the original Alien, where Bishop immediately is obsessed with studying the face huggers he almost has like a i would say creepy or menacing stare yeah. at who was that spunkmeyer yeah that's one true. of the great character names <laughs> of all time so they're definitely pushing you in that direction of thinking okay well bishop is no different than ash He's it doesn't been matter here to bring back the aliens it doesn't matter how many upgrades they've done on these androids when they see something like this it just takes over <laughs> well no i think in the original alien Ash was programmed all along yeah, that's to right. do that. Yeah. That was the big reveal. I don't think that they actually emotionally react to the <laughs> alien. <laughs> well, though, They're just uh, like, holy shit. Yeah, but I do think that's something that's always an underlying thing in these movies with the android character. It doesn't make sense that it would have an emotional, intellectual reaction, but you always kind of feel like there is something there. Yeah, it's magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. The Marines locate the colonists beneath the fusion-powered atmosphere processing station and head to their location, descending into corridors covered with alien secretions. So the aliens build up all these weird walls and shit. I don't really know what you even call this stuff, but it's always like green and slimy. Where do they get this stuff, this material? Well, they say they're secretions, so, so it comes out of their bodies. Of oh, it's basically alien shit. Yeah, <laughs> and they smear it all over the walls. <laughs> Just really classy, you know? (laughs) At the center of the station, the Marines find the cocooned colonists serving as incubators for the creature's offspring. Although most of these people appear to be dead. Well, they've already burst. Yeah. It's a large nest of nightmares going on with these bodies hanging up in these horrible cocoons. The one woman wakes up and is immediately like, kill me. Yeah me when i wake up every day (laughs) (laughs) it's horrifying the marines kill an infant alien after it bursts from a colonist's chest rousing multiple adult aliens Mm -hmm. who were tucked in the ceiling and walls and crevices yeah unspotted by these marines no it's sort of like the end of the original alien where it's hiding in that little space vessel that she's getting into where it just kind of like folds itself up and you don't notice it (laughs) that part is creepy i guess that's one of the unsettling things about it and would be further explored with newt's commentary later but just the fact that they seem to i don't know like creepily hibernate or hide yeah well they're ultra intelligent at one point they cut the electricity I know, there is like a Jurassic Park moment where instead of opening doors, it's like they're using elevators. Oh, dude, I think I wrote that same thing down. There's like a Jurassic Park level intelligence yeah, yeah. with these aliens. Like they figure things out immediately. They are very humanoid. They walk upright. They have a head, two arms, two legs. They do have a tail, but 
they seem very similar to human. They just don't yeah. speak. One of the best monster villain things in film history ever. I mean, they're just endlessly creepy. Yeah. Well, they're already upping the stakes yeah. in this opening sequence when all of these things start peeling off. Even of the watching walls. a move, like the way they crawl around, it just makes me shudder. Because you're thinking back to the original, you only had one. Yeah. Now you're seeing a million of them almost. Oh, well, I mean, we're like halfway through the movie, but you know what I'm saying? In this first time seeing them, yeah, the yeah. opening time of seeing them, you're like, oh shit, there's going to be a lot of them. That's right. Similarly to the original, they are mostly played by real people, like dancers and different flexible people wearing giant suits and everything. Although the queen is different, and we'll maybe talk about that later. The xenomorphs ambush the marines and kill or capture many of them. They've got flamethrowers going, but they're not supposed to be shooting live rounds because uh-huh. they're under that fusion machine thing. Once again, something Ripley points out. Yeah. Gorman just is so in over his head. He's actually dangerously inexperienced where Burke may have like... Well, Burke clearly is an idiot too. He yeah. thinks that this is all going to be easy peasy and it's so much more tenuous than Burke realizes like anything could go wrong at any moment and they would all be dead including if one of their marines shot the fusion generator thing and the whole place blew up not to mention how easily these xenomorphs dispose of people it's like so simple for them to kill humans Burke is like no we got this we're about an hour into the movie and the anticipation level is off the charts and you're finally seeing them I have to imagine like the first time seeing this in a theater or something, this has got to be like a pretty awesome moment. Oh, yeah. Finally, we're seeing these aliens, and there's so many of them. It is like the perfect sequel escalation where you're just That's like, right. fuck, yes, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah. Although you have to be like, how is there an hour and 15 minutes left? You'd be oh, like, these people are so dead. <laughs> so much <laughs> great shit. Yeah. Gorman, as expected, has a meltdown, and Ripley immediately has to take charge. So when he panics, Ripley assumes command, commandeers the armored personnel carrier, and rams the nest to rescue Hicks, Hudson, and Vasquez. The rest of them are basically dead or left for dead or captured at this point. There's actually a pretty gnarly acid death for Drake, a.k.a. Boggs. Vasquez has a hard time accepting it. Yeah, because they're shooting them with bullets and acid just sprays everywhere when that happens. It's fucked up. That's right. What a way to avenge your own death. Have acid blood. Yeah, it's an evolutionary defense mechanism. That's right. As expected, they'd all be dead without Ripley, of course. That's what these movies all are building towards. Absolutely. She's going to be the hero. Ripley is so fucking badass. As you said, she wants to just nuke the whole planet and fly away. And Burke's treachery is already rearing its ugly head. And she's just like... (laughs) They can bill me. Like, who gives a shit? I mean, for someone who's been asleep and out of the mix for 57 years, really quick on her toes, I guess that's the thing that Burke wasn't prepared for. She's the only one that can really challenge him on a mental level because she's basically like, look, this is a military operation. You're not in charge here. Hicks, you're in charge. And Hicks is like, I am. With Gorman knocked unconscious during the rescue, Hicks assumes command and orders the dropship to recover the survivors intending to return to the Sulaco and destroy the colony site from orbit. However, a stowaway xenomorph Ugh. kills the dropship crew, including Spunkmeyer and that chick that drives the craft. 
Xenomorph kills them while in flight, causing the craft to crash into the atmosphere processor, destroying the ship, the armored personnel carrier, and most of the Marines' equipment. So imagine just watching this transpire, not sure of what's happening. Like you're one of the people waiting for the dropship to arrive, and then all of a sudden it crashes spectacularly. Well, I think Hudson does a good job sort of representing the audience here. Well, I'm just thinking like, could they have botched that anymore? Like you're not, you don't know that <laughs> yeah. there's an alien on right, there. You're right. just like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> what is this amateur hour? Yeah, really? How did you get in the Marines? Like, how did they let you pilot this thing? <laughs> I guess maybe eventually you would conclude like, oh, something happened, like an alien. But I don't know. Would you? You're just like, what the fuck were they doing? They couldn't or, handle I, I this. Mean, you'd, you'd have to think either something happened with an alien or like the ship malfunctioned. I don't think that you're thinking someone that's a pilot in the Marines is just so <laughs> horrible at this. <laughs> wow, I've seen some real incompetence in my time, but that was truly unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hudson, game over, man. Yeah. Game over. Cameron had all of the actors build up a backstory and everything, and and the game overline plays into Hudson's backstory, which was he would been playing simulations, almost like video games, to prepare for these things. And that came from that. Gotcha. Two iconic lines almost back to back, though, because then you have Newt with her little That's right, yeah. semi-British accent, it sounds like, <laughs> even though it's not. They mostly come out at night, mostly. That's right. <laughs> the way she says mostly is so strange. I love it. Which is kind of a new wrinkle to the alien character as well. Well, she's spent the most time with them. Yeah, she, she knows. She knows their routine. Yeah. So they're nocturnal, even though it's like, how, how can would you, you tell? Know? <laughs> it's night <laughs> right. all the time. The remaining survivors then barricade themselves inside the colony. Because at this point, Once they're again, thinking we can wait for a rescue. Ripley's plan. Yeah, she's basically in charge. Yeah. It's confirmed officially that Burke has ulterior motives when Bishop reveals that Burke ordered him to retain the facehugger samples to be brought back with them when they leave this godforsaken rock. Bishop, I want these specimens destroyed as soon as you're finished with them. Is that clear? Mr. Burke gave instructions that they were to be kept alive in stasis for return to the company labs. He was very specific about it. Look, those two specimens are worth millions to the bioweapons division, right? Now, if you're smart, we can both come out of this heroes, and we will be set up for life. You're crazy, Bert. Do you know that? Do you really think you can get a dangerous organism like that past ICC quarantine? How can they impound it if they don't know about it? But they will know about it, Burke. For me. Just like they'll know that you were responsible for the deaths of 157 colonists. Wait a second. You sent them to that ship. You're wrong. I just checked the colony log. Directive dated 61279, signed Burke, Carter J. You sent them out there and you didn't even warn them. Why didn't you warn them, Burke? Okay, look. What if that ship didn't even exist? Did you ever think about that? I didn't know. So now if I went and made a major security situation out of it, everybody steps in, administration steps in, and there's no exclusive rights for anybody. Nobody wins. So I made a decision, and it was wrong. It was a bad call, Ripley. It was a bad call. Bad call? These people are dead, Burke! Don't you have any idea what you've done here? Well, I'm going to make sure that they nail you right to the wall for this. You're not going to sleaze your way out of this one. Right to the wall. Ripley, 
I, you know, I expected more from you. I thought you'd be smarter than this. I'm happy to disappoint you. Ripley discovers Burke also ordered the colonists to investigate the derelict spaceship where the Nostromo crew first encountered the xenomorph eggs. Acting on the testimony Ripley gave after being rescued, his intentions were to profit by recovering the eggs for biological weapon research. This seems like an execution-style killing is in order here for Burke. Oh, it definitely seems like at one point that was going to be on the table. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Right. His plan, I see where he's going with it, but it doesn't seem complete. He's very much underestimating Ripley, but more importantly, he's underestimating the Xenomorphs. (laughs) You can't just just randomly be like, okay, we're going to figure out a way to bring them back. These things rip through humans. Yeah, in the most horrible ways imaginable. Right. Yes. It would be better to be eaten by a shark <laughs> or a tiger. Yeah. This is so much worse. <laughs> They're either going to rip you apart and kill you or burn you or have their little mouth go into your face. Oy. Or... They're going to have one of their face huggers lash itself onto you, and then a thing is going to burst through your chest. Sound fun? <laughs> Hudson reminds me a lot of you. Yeah. Very doom and gloom. I think so. And like what you were thinking about the pilot, but you are just like, how did Hudson get into the Marines? It doesn't seem like he's got the stomach to get through basic training. Well, a lot of you the know? characters have their own little arcs, you know? Yeah. And his is, he's trying to be a badass at the beginning. Then he turns somewhat cowardly, and then by the end of his arc, he's a badass again. That's true, yeah. His bravery starts to shine through once you get into that scene with the facehuggers. He also reminds me of me. Anything to get out of what they're doing. (laughs) He's constantly like, let's get out of here. Like, why are we doing this? The real bad news, though, is brought to us by Bishop, who informs the group that the dropship crash has damaged the power plant cooling system and that it will soon explode. He says in about four hours. Okay. So at first they're like, okay, can we hold off these aliens long enough to get rescued? Then the answer is no, because we're only going to have four hours. Yeah. And it will ultimately destroy the entire colony. This distracts Ripley enough so that she does not immediately inform everyone of Burke's insidious plans. Ultimately, Bishop volunteers to use the colony's transmitter to pilot the Sulaco's remaining dropship to the surface by remote control, so that the group can escape. Bishop's journey to get to that place is a claustrophobic nightmare. I was like, this is Shawshank Redemption all over again. I thought the same thing, except the pipe is even smaller. Yeah, but Now, granted, it's not not filled with shit. Shit, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it is a real claustrophobic nightmare. Right. He is like wiggling his way through that pipe. Horrible. (laughs) But he's supposedly a robot. I love how they just weld him back into it, too. Yeah. It's like, well... See a bishop. If you get stuck, yeah. then give up. Yeah. Deprogram or something. Yeah. Shut down because that's it. We're not coming to get you. Deprogram. Yeah. Do they have like a self destruct yeah. thing they can do? <laughs> I am picking up a little bit of a Hicks and Ripley romance alert. I think so. Although this movie never really pushes that too far. It's not like they kiss or anything. No, but there's definitely some sexual tension there, I think. Two badasses, you know. Yeah. I, I think that. He can already see the writing on the wall with Ripley adopting Newt, and he's thinking, okay, well, this is just going to be my family now. I don't think a Ripley's interested in, like, me, you know? (laughs) Just completely 
weaker. <laughs> Who do you mean? Hudson or you? No, for real me. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think she would be. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, I, that's the thing, though. She's got to date like another badass. Yeah, Hicks is a badass, although she would be the brains of the operation for totally. sure. Yeah, but he's okay with that. Yeah, he's, not he's always like a step behind her. Yeah, yeah. Gorman, by the way, finally wakes up. Just a big zero really? to this operation. Yeah. <laughs> they lobotomized him. After falling asleep in the medical laboratory, Ripley and Newt awaken to find themselves trapped with two now-released facehuggers. This is an awesome scene. Mm-hmm. They're locked into this room at the hands of Burke, well, which becomes clear when Burke turns off the security yes. thing so that no one else can see what's going on. It's odd to me, though, that before this, Ripley was already on to Burke, and she kind of allowed this situation to happen. I don't think she realized he would go this far. Yeah, that's Although, true. at this point, it's, she jumps to the conclusion that he wants the facehuggers to impregnate her and Newt. Which I think is the first time we hear it referred to as impregnating. Yeah. <laughs> which gave me It's a impregnating in a non-sexual way. Yeah, yeah. It is weird when you're talking about Newt. But right. It's a very scientific yeah, word yeah, in this sense. Yeah, I get it. Yes. Yes. But... I'm not 100% sure that is really Burke's plan, because wouldn't the other Marines, if they saw this facehugger on those two, just be like, well, they can't come back? I would think, yeah. So I'm thinking he just wants to kill them, because they know... Well, he doesn't really give a shit about Newt, but he knows that Ripley knows the truth about him, and he doesn't want to be exposed. That seems more likely to me. Probably. Although I guess we're supposed to just take Ripley's word as what's happening, but... I just don't know why the Marines would think, okay, yeah, it's a good idea. We saw what happened to that fucking woman a few minutes earlier. The one begging for us to kill her? Yeah, like, let's bring her back when this thing's going to burst out of her. I don't know. But really? A cat nap? Now? You have four hours until this (laughs) place is going to explode. It does seem like a bizarre... Could you trust yourself to be like, I'm going to fall asleep and then I haven't slept in 24 hours? You just don't even wake up and die because you sleep through the explosion. (laughs) You wake up with five minutes ago, you like start shaking Newt. You're like, you were supposed to wake me up. Newt, damn it, you idiot. <laughs> There's a lot of moments in this movie where you could just start yelling, God damn it, Newt, what the fuck? Yeah, really. Tarantino appeared on a podcast with Edgar Wright. I think it was like the Empire podcast. And they were talking about best theatrical experiences or something along those lines or most fun at a theater. And Tarantino talked about living in L.A., when he was younger, obviously still a good five, six years before Reservoir Dogs, probably when he was working at a video store, and they waited in line to see Aliens opening night, and James Cameron was there, like making sure the projector was set up the way he wanted it. It was oh, like wow. a whole thing. Yeah. And he talked about this scene and how this scene was so unbelievable to him. And it is like an awesome scene. Like it's so cool with the face huggers. They look great. They're flying around. There's so much tension. Obviously, Ripley's got to protect Newt. It's a whole thing. But I did think it was hilarious that during this, he was trying to undersell the ending. As if like, oh, yeah, yeah, we all knew that was coming and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you do the same thing, though. Yeah, yeah. Especially since this is in the aftermath of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, You set up the same kind of a thing where... You're going to get this audience reaction based off of a, a well-planted seed. Right. I just thought that was weird that he was yeah. trying to downplay the ending. Not that he didn't like it, but yeah, yeah. his big moment was this moment, which is awesome, though. I will it say is. that. It's super suspenseful. They're fighting off these little monsters running around. Ripley triggers 
a fire alarm to alert the Marines, who managed to rescue them and kill the creatures. Which is really only, what, three soldiers at this point? Because I'm not counting Gorman. Yeah, it's Vasquez, Hudson, and Hicks. Yeah, yeah. Ripley accuses Burke of releasing the facehuggers to impregnate her and Newt, thus allowing him to smuggle the embryos through Earth's quarantine. That's another thing. He doesn't seem to have a solid plan of smuggling these things back because unlike the other movies where Waylon yutani is just across the board evil this movie focuses on burke as if he's gone rogue like yeah. he doesn't have orders he, from anyone else no. he's doing this himself that's right it's like an independent wealth he's chasing here not for the company right yeah it seems like he would maybe even take this somewhere else or something beyond right. yes. even the company who knows the marines decide to kill burke but before they can, the electricity is suddenly cut off. <laughs> Hudson's like, what do you mean they? they they're animals. Yeah. <laughs> they cut the power. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Hudson is great. Yeah. This leads to one of the key movement tracker scenes with great buildup where the movement tracker is indicating that they're coming, they're coming. There's all the suspense and buildup. Then it so seems like many. they need they should be in the room with them. Yeah, just so many glowing dots on that little thing. Where are they? Where are they? Yeah. They can't see them because they're, of course, in the ceiling, which is great. Remember, short controlled bursts. Eight meters. Seven. Six. Can't be. That's inside the room. It's reading right, man. Look. Well, you're not reading it right. Five meters, man. Four. What the hell? Oh, my God. Give me the light. attack through the ceiling and an all-out battle ensues when hicks opens the little drop down ceiling or whatever and like shines the light up there and just sees them all like crawling towards them at like a fast pace that is one of the creepiest things to me in the whole movie yeah it's awesome just watching those things move so quickly you would think that these aliens would just like cut their own foreheads with their fingers and just like spray the blood (laughs) (laughs) they have a weapon that's right during the firefight, the aliens kill Burke when he tries to flee and save himself. Sort of a disappointing death. It's a little underwhelming. You want something like a little bit more badass and I kinda on wish, camera. Yeah, I kind of wish the Marines had executed him. I would have enjoyed that. Well, the way that Bishop is eventually killed, yeah. but he's not killed because he's a robot. That's right. That's how Burke needed Burke to go. Needed to be yeah, killed, yeah. Like stabbed through, ripped apart. <laughs> yeah. Although, that probably would have been extreme even for an R-rated movie in the 80s. People would have been like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) What the fuck? Hudson is abducted by an alien coming up through the floor. Ripley, Newt, Hicks, Gorman, and Vasquez use the ventilation ducts to make a getaway attempt. Newt knows her way through these tunnels. It should go without saying that despite 
what was going on with the actress portraying Vasquez. Vasquez is hard as fuck. Oh, yeah. She and Gorman end up making the ultimate sacrifice she, with a grenade. I would think she's got to have the highest body count of aliens throughout the movie. Probably, yeah. She kills a lot of them. Oh, yeah. Everyone else is like advancing ahead, and she stays behind and just is like unloading machine guns That's and right. stuff. You would think that those tunnels would get clogged with the corpses of the aliens that she has killed, and it would be hard for the others to keep going. Those things are just relentless, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on. So Vasquez and Gorman make up for a moment. She's like, you always were an asshole, and then they blow themselves up. Yeah, it's, that's a pretty great moment. But the explosion and the blast knock Newt out of <laughs> Ripley's hands, and she falls down that thing where it looks like she would just be killed. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's hard to even... How did she even go through that? I don't know. What hurt? is this? I don't know. A fan or something? Some kind of a thing like yeah. that. It's like, oh, God damn it, Newt. Really? <laughs> what I, are you I mean, doing? they were about to climb up a ladder to seemingly safety. Yeah, they're about to leave. And you were saying before we started recording, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's been nice knowing you, Newt. I know, really. Look, we got to cut ties here. Okay, look. They try to stop it. Hicks... Jams up the fan using his machine gun. Ripley reaches down, grabs her jacket. That's like, if you can save her here, okay, good. But once she slides out of that jacket and down, <laughs> it's over. Come on. We tried. Newt slides down into some half-submerged tunnel that I can only assume is some kind of a massive sewer. Because Great. what else is this water? This is where you're going to go to save her? <laughs> it keeps getting better. It ends up being an awesome visual though of yeah. the alien coming up out of the water behind her i know that looks so cool newt's taken by an alien ripley starts screaming in hicks face she's alive she's alive and hicks is just like all right jesus christ i believe you like stop screaming know, in really. my face <laughs> she's like fighting with no one hicks seems like he's willing to do whatever ripley I know. says he is a she's... good sport he's a really good sport but i mean i would just be like all right, we'll go save her. I'll climb up the ladder, and we'll all meet up when you're done. <laughs> They're about to get onto an elevator, and an alien tries to follow them on, and they shoot the alien, and then the acid blood injures Hicks. So he's basically rendered useless yeah, the rest of the movie. He's out of the mix. Ripley and Hicks reach Bishop in the second dropship, which he has successfully brought to the surface of the moon, but she refuses to abandon Newt, Meanwhile, back on the ship, once Ripley goes back, Hicks is whispering to Bishop, all right, let's take off, let's take go, off, dude. take off, yeah. Forget this. Conveniently, Newt is now wearing the tracking watch that Hicks had given to Ripley earlier, which helps explain how Ripley is just able to find her. I guess they had uh -huh. to come up with something. So earlier in the picture, Hicks gives this tracking watch to Ripley. Ripley then puts it on Newt, so now Ripley can find her. The group travels to the processing station, allowing a heavily armed Ripley to enter the hive and rescue Newt. It's so fucking badass. Like, she's got this huge gun with a flamethrower on it. It's a half gun, half grenade launcher, plus oh, yeah. a flamethrower. Yeah, these are badass weapons for sure. She gets on that elevator, and she's, like, taking off that jacket, so then she's got that, like tight white t-shirt on and then she's like re-putting all the bullets and shit oh, yeah. back on her i mean it is this whoa is rambo <laughs> level yeah there's no way that you're not fully riding with this movie at this point you're just like all right let's do it let's go beat some alien ass 
Yeah, sometimes that's what's great about certain types of movies. The vibe of Alien 3 or even the first Alien to a certain extent because you're working with an unknown. But in this sequel, you're like, well, we know that Ripley is going to just beat ass and prevail. And it doesn't ruin it. You're like, I need to see this right now. (laughs) Yes. Thankfully, Ripley manages to find Newt before she can be impregnated by a facehugger. That is fortunate timing, I will say. It doesn't seem like it works that way for most people. These things well, are they have qu- to wait till those eggs hatch. I know. It, yeah, I know. But they are quick operators a lot of the time. Escaping, the two of them encounter yeah. the xenomorph queen I in her tell egg you, chamber. Not to interrupt, but this part, I think, is actually perfect because the way that it's shot, it actually starts all resonating with me like my mind starts putting the pieces together in the sequence because you don't spend much time thinking about these eggs yeah. and then you're just like where the fuck do these eggs come from oh and the camera starts yeah the music up. just completely drops out and it's like almost slow motion but not quite it seems that everything seems to slow down the music is gone yeah dawning on me surrounded by these eggs that's why I think it was cooler in the theatrical cut to cut down that conversation. There's a couple of lines between, I think, Bishop and maybe Ripley or somebody like that back at the med lab where they are sort of implying that there's something they haven't seen yet. But in the special edition, that conversation goes on like a little bit longer and it, you really maybe start thinking about it yeah. too much. But in this sense, you're like, oh, oh, okay. Yep. And the life cycle of the xenomorph ends up being explained more. You understand where the eggs come from and then what they have to do next. That's right. And how they procreate. And this is what I was referring to earlier when I was talking about the necessary sequel escalation. Because you have this enormous queen that's huge, which is connected to an ovipositor, which is something that like insects use. Sometimes it's that tube thing. Yeah, it's gross. To like release the eggs from their body. It's Ugh, horrifying. I don't like it. And the xenomorphs are very insect-like in a lot of ways, even though you don't really think of them like that. That's true, Because yeah. they're huge and dangerous, and they don't seem like bugs necessarily, but this is a very insect-like thing with the eggs There's like an ant-like quality. Yeah, and they have a queen, like wasps or right. ants or whatever. There's this great standoff where Ripley and the queen both seem to understand each other where she's like threatening like I'm gonna burn your eggs if you do anything oh yeah and the queen just sort of freezes like gets what she's saying but then you know things go to hell because one of the eggs opens and then it's flamethrower time (laughs) yeah and Ripley just begins torching everything oh she's got a vendetta here the queen starts shrieking and then Ripley just opens fire on everything as some of those other xenomorphs are coming down to try to protect the queen. Yeah. And it becomes this whole battle. She uses the grenade launcher to destroy the ovipositor. The queen tears herself loose and gives chase through the failing processor station. And we get into this elevator madness, which is very much like the Jurassic Park dinosaurs with their intelligence. Right. The alien seems to instinctively know how to use an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? You just sort of buy it. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, what? it's great. Newt and Ripley take the elevator up just in time, back up to the, where they were dropped off. But at first, there's no bishop. And Ripley's probably thinking, these fucking robots. I can't believe it. She says it out loud. She <laughs> blames Bishop immediately. But the ship returns just as the queen arrives in the second elevator so that Ripley and Newt can join Bishop and Hicks 
on the dropship and escape moments before the station explodes, consuming the colony in a nuclear blast. So you're probably thinking that's it. (laughs) That's a great ending. There you go. The planet has exploded, but we've got one more twist. And unlike Matt, who is a party pooper, I think that this is worth it because this ending fucking rules. Yeah. It rules so hard (laughs) that it might be one of the great endings of any movie, let alone a sequel. It's definitely one of the great last final standoffs. It's so good. (laughs) Once back on the Sulaco, the group is ambushed by the queen who stowed away in the dropship's landing gear. One of the great shocking reveals, too. The way that it happens. She impales Bishop out of nowhere with her tail, I guess, and then just rips him apart. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Bishop. It's so gruesome, but he is a robot, so it's not blood. It's that milk liquid. Ugh, which is grosser than blood. (laughs) Yeah, it's disgusting. But he is still technically functioning and alive which i think is always fun with them yeah he doesn't feel that agonizing pain that a human would when well they would just be dead yeah true (laughs) yeah it's sort of like the end of prometheus when david is just a head oh yeah and he's still alive yes newt pulls her regular move which is to hide in you know like a little chamber underneath the floor i don't even know what you would call that yeah i get it ripley tries to distract the alien but then runs into a cargo bay and seals herself in The queen turns her attention back to Newt, pulling up pieces of the floor to get at the girl. Right as the queen is about to get Newt, the cargo bay door opens to reveal Ripley in a giant exosuit cargo loader. Go! Move! No! Here! Here! Run! from her you bitch i'm just screaming at this point (laughs) i'm screaming cue like badass score imagine seeing this opening weekend in 1986 
a sold out theater. Oh yeah. I mean, people, people. would be rioting. <laughs> <laughs> the whole theater would be shaking, throwing things in the air. Yeah. I, people would be losing their goddamn minds. Right. This is got to be up there for great theater experiences of the 80s. I'm, I'm sure. jealous of people who got to see it. Yeah. Holy I shit. I can't even imagine a shared theater moment like this now. The end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is up there. Sure. With the flamethrower and everything. Oh, yeah. And that's what I was alluding to. Yeah, yeah. You plant the seed with the flamethrower and then you deliver. You have Ripley in this giant exosuit cargo loader thing earlier, and then you pay that off. You're like, here we go. Like, how could she fight this alien queen? And it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> she delivers the great line. That's right. Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> Which... Because of the troubled production and the reshoots and different shit, she really only got to do one take. Oh, and wow. And she thought she fucked it up. No. No, it's great. It's an absolutely incredible battle scene with the Stan Winston puppets. So the queen is being controlled as if it's a giant puppet with wow. lots of moving parts. I guess that makes sense. I couldn't think of how else they could do it. And that's also how Ripley's suit is worked, too, because there's no suit like right. that. <laughs> you mean she's not just moving that with her feet? So the way that they choreograph this is pretty awesome. Obviously, if you're using CGI, it's going to seem less clumsy, but I think the yeah. clumsiness makes it work better. It's kind of surprising to me that Hicks is completely a non-factor through all of this. Yeah, Hicks just dropping the ball. Really? Well, he shoots himself up with some painkillers, and then Bishop says that he gave him more, so he's completely out. Oh, now. yeah. <laughs> Imagine Ripley trying to explain what happened later. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, you're not going to believe how badass I was. Well, <laughs> and Hicks, then I said, get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> Hicks just fucking wakes up from his whatever slumber and looks at Bishop, who's been cut in half. <laughs> like, what happened? Yeah, you're going to have to rely on Bishop to tell this story or else. Yeah. Because Newt, of course, isn't going to be able to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ripley and the Queen tumble into a large airlock, which Ripley then opens, expelling the Queen into space as a mirror of how Ripley dealt with the alien in the original film. Ripley herself barely gets to safety, while the upper half of Bishop saves Newt from being sucked out after the Queen. That's right. Further confirming Ripley's newfound admiration for the android. Yeah, Bishop the hero. Now, let's be realistic. I know that they're not all the way up into space, I guess. It's sort of like that thing where they're almost a part of the atmosphere, but yeah, you're being sucked out. You're I not, think so. You're not I able to so. cli- <laughs> climb up that ladder like that, Ripley does. It's not that tough for them to escape this. It's like, oh, just make sure your arm's locked on. You'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> your arm would just be ripped out then. <laughs> just an insane amount of strength for Ripley. When Newt hugs Ripley, she calls Ripley mommy. Yeah. So we see where that's headed. I wish they had one more scene at the end of this movie where it's Ripley, Newt, Bishop, and Hicks, and they land on a planet, and there's triumphant music that plays, and they all get medals. <laughs> That's the end. By the Arcturians. Yeah. <laughs> the previously unseen. That's right. Afterwards, Ripley helps Hicks and Bishop into hypersleep before she and Newt bed down for the return journey to Earth. You missed a hell of a party, Hicks. And at this point, when the credits play, if me and you were both our ages now in 1986, yep. and we were getting up to leave the theater, you would look over and you'd be like, where's Zach? And the answer would be, I'd be in line. 
buying tickets ticket. to the next show. <laughs> because how unbelievable. This is a movie that I feel like is amplified by a theatrical experience, even though I've never seen it in the theater. I, love I just fully believe that. How much quicker the younger version of you is than now. <laughs> yeah, I never see you get out of the theater that quickly. <laughs> Just running, yeah. running the tickets. So before we hop off of Aliens, let's talk a little bit about the transition here now to Alien 3. Look, I love David Fincher. I was just showing you the new book on Fincher's films that That's I just right. bought the other day, which it does include a chapter on Alien 3, even though Fincher hates the film and tried to get his name taken off of it. But even if the film would have turned out the way Fincher wanted it to... I still think that inherently there's a big problem. Yes. And that is the audience's emotional connection to Newt and Hicks. And Bishop, I'd say. And to a lesser extent, Bishop, who are killed off in between films. Off screen, essentially. And it, it doesn't just stop there, where it's like, oh, these characters that you liked are gone and dead, including a child. They then have an extended autopsy scene on Newt's body. Yikes. In the movie. I guess to confirm that she doesn't have an alien inside of her. I'm not really sure what they're doing. I forget. I've only ever really watched Alien 3 a few times. Right. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, this is like a gut punch. And I just think that they were going for a tone that they were never going to be able to yeah. turn into a success. No for, one was going to be happy about this movie. For those of us that loved these characters, it's all over. Right in the beginning of the movie, it just sets this tone that you're never going to recover from. Yeah, you can accuse Cameron of being over-sentimental, of making the ending to Aliens too sappy, too happy, too whatever. Give but that is what where want. you're at. Yeah. But that's it. Right. So that's where you have to pick up. And to just shift gears so dramatically... With Alien 3, you're really starting behind the eight ball. You're never going to recover a lot of the audience at that point. Yeah. No matter what you do. And ultimately, yes, it was another troubled production. Fincher hated the movie. Yeah. It was basically stripped of power. It seemed like he didn't get to do what he wanted. It basically feels to me like a script for another movie was taken. And then they're like, well, why don't we just make this Alien 3? Yeah, because it's like that weird prison world. Yeah, right, which seems like its own story. Yeah. There's some cool shit in it, and there's some cool scenes, but it mostly stinks. I don't really like it. Yeah. It is better than Resurrection and Covenant, probably, but it's not great. But it's such a downer when you think about the ending of Aliens transitioning into that. It's almost better to just not even think about it. Just like, ugh. Yeah, I feel better. Ignorance is bliss. Supposedly, there's another Alien sequel or prequel. I'm not sure which in the mix. Although I have heard that Sigourney Weaver might be in it, so I guess that would make it a sequel. Yeah, and not a prequel like Covenant and Prometheus. I think they have to get off of that prequel train because the box office for Covenant just wasn't that good. People are not that interested in it. So if they do return to that material, it probably would be something with Sigourney Weaver, maybe. But I don't know. That's one of those things that still seems so far off. Who knows yeah. how that'll play out. And it's so hard to do it with a story that makes sense and that you're into anymore. It would almost have to be like Halloween, where they would yeah. just have to discount some of the stuff that's happened. I think that it would have to be like, three never happened. Newt's still alive. Oh my god, that would be a dream. Yeah. Just forget Juno Temple plays her. <laughs> <laughs> just forget three and four. We don't care. Yeah. Just get off of it. 
What are you doing? What? <clears throat> what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. All right. So in lieu of recommendations, I wanted to talk about a film that you and I saw last week. You're like, recommendations this week? <laughs> like Alien 3. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. Alien 3, David Fincher. Yes, we did go to the theater, a movie I would say we were both pretty excited for. Stars one of our favorite people, I would say. <laughs> Jared Leto. That's right. Lady Gaga. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'd still like Al Pacino more. Sure. Yeah, it's a cool cast. Up and down. We're talking about House of Gucci, the new film by Ridley Scott, That's who directed right. the original Alien. Apropos of And this also episode. directed Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Yep. Ridley Scott is in his 80s. I don't know that he's going to have time to circle back to Alien at this point. I know that he originally wanted to do a whole trilogy after the Prometheus thing, although I just think that the Covenant, whatever, they I don't the know ball. what's there to still be explored with that piece of it. Yeah, they, they dropped the ball. I think they could have taken the Prometheus thing in all kinds of directions, and the direction they chose was just not the right one. Right. Anyway, he was very prolific this year, releasing two films, The Last Duel, which I wanted to see, but we weren't quite ready to start going to the theater yeah. yet, I guess. I still want to see it. As soon as that becomes available, I will pay $20 or whatever it is to sure. get the early download. I want to see it. Whatever. I haven't seen The Last Duel. But House of Gucci is his second film, one of those based on true events type epic narratives that takes place over, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm not yeah. really sure how long it's supposed to all take place. There's definitely jumps in time. It seems to go from like at some point in the early 80s up into the 90s, yeah. I guess. With a star-studded cast, the trailers and everything seemed cool. It seemed very campy and funny, which I do think is the intent. But I think you'll agree, it's definitely one of the big disappointments yeah. of 2021 for, the, for us. Well, the execution of campiness definitely isn't consistent. It, yes. And, and the, the elements surrounding the campiness aren't thorough. There's a lot of emptiness and like a hollow feeling to it. And then all of a sudden you have Jared Leto, who is great in it, but he's like so eccentric that not everyone else is playing into that same vibe. Yeah, Leto seems to be f doing like a complete comedic, over-the-top, insane performance. He talks like Super Mario or something. It's so crazy. And not all of the other actors seem to be pushing it that far. Pacino and Gaga definitely have moments of campiness, although yeah. both have moments where they seem to be playing it straight as well. Adam Driver just seems like a piece of cardboard to me. I mean, there's just yeah. no charisma there. Driver definitely doesn't fit in with this. He's not playing it campy at all. And I know that this is a hot take and some people are probably going to disagree with it, but I think like Adam Driver at best is fine. I don't think he's bad ever or anything like that. But I do think that the praise that's heaped on him sometimes yeah. is so absurd. I would agree. My history with this goes back a long way to probably when he was originally even cast in The Force Awakens. It seems like even going back then, people would just rave about him. And I was like, really? I I'm not seeing it. And in the years that have passed since then, I my opinion hasn't dramatically altered from that. I actually probably think out of everything he's ever done, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi might be like two of the better things. Yeah. But still, yeah. I, I don't know that he ever really fit into Star Wars that well for me. Obviously, he gets like a ton of praise for 
Marriage Story, which is a film that I don't particularly love. And I don't really love the acting in it either, which is the thing that everybody praises. I have my own personal opinions about that. I just feel like it's very acting workshop 101, Mm -hmm. just screaming in each other's face. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's great acting to me. But whatever. I don't think he's bad. No, I I agree I don't want to go down that road. I just think that usually he's fine. In House of Gucci, he seems completely out of place. He doesn't seem to be on the same wavelength as everyone else. Yeah, and I was talking about it to somebody. I said, I, I thought Adam Driver was a complete dud in the movie. But to be fair, the character seems like a dud. Yeah, but then again, you could say that about a lot of his characters. So well, that's true. He's the common denominator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Irons is sort of the same. He seems to be taking it a little bit more seriously than... Yeah, his almost seems like a 100% serious... Yeah, I think in my letterbox review, I made the point of saying that it felt like the actors seemed like they were in different movies. Well, that's the thing. The one that was jumping out to me, there's parts of it that it seemed like people were doing this grim adaptation of this event in pop culture history, like almost like Social Network or something. It yeah. feels like people are in some of the people are in that movie, and then other people are in like Boogie Nights. Yeah, there needed to be a musical score to accompany some of the scenes that, like you said, the word hollow comes to mind. If yeah. they felt very flat. There's a lot of awkward silence in the scenes, especially if you're seeing it with a small crowd or a crowd that isn't super loud or anything. I could see why people would enjoy this if they were with a a crowd that was embracing the campiness and laughing and really getting into it. But just straight up watching it in a mostly silent theater, there weren't a lot of reactions. Like I don't know. you, You just weren't getting into it. The lack of a score was a problem for me. I think it needed a rewrite. Because I was confused as to why certain things were happening at certain times. Things weren't being built up the right way. I know people um, probably get sick of me complaining about run times, but it's just, I think there's an art to editing something appropriately and efficiently using your time. And I felt like there was a lot of wasted material here that wasn't needed, didn't drive anything forward, wasn't particularly entertaining. Well, the movie probably should have been longer. (laughs) I didn't feel that way. Because they didn't explain anything. Yeah. It needed to be a mini series, and then they cut it down to two and a half hours, but then they left out so much stuff off screen where it just their way would just be like, okay, so now the company's in trouble. And you're like, well, wait a minute, why? Or now they're getting a divorce, or now this is happening. It felt like you were missing stuff. Like, yeah. why is this happening now? There's no explanation. But then there were long periods of dialogue where nothing's being moved forward. Right. So they weren't effectively using the two and a half hours. I think that. A movie could be whatever length it needs to be, but it needs to also make sense, which I didn't feel like this movie did. But, you know, I have seen some people dig the movie. I think there is a campiness factor. Yeah, I think there's good stuff there, for sure. Yeah, there's some effective scenes. Lady Gaga is entertaining in it at times, especially when she's embracing the campy element to it. Like, you know, the father-son house of Gucci, which is crossing herself, which <laughs> yeah. is so absurd. But yeah, the Leto steals the show for me. He's definitely going to be a polarizing character. I think some people are going to think he's the worst part of the yeah. film, and some people are going <laughs> to think he's the best, just depending on how you take it. Because, I mean, it's so over the top. <laughs> it's completely insane. Right. I thought Pacino was good, too. I enjoyed him. It's a mixed bag. It's definitely sure. not the worst movie of the year, but it's it's disappointing because we had high hopes for it, I think. Yeah, I agree. But we still have licorice pizza. That's right. And 
the new Verhoeven movie, Benedetta. I, I see people checking licorice pizza on Letterboxd. I'm just green with jealous rage. Well, you got to move to New York L- or L.A. Hey, we got to relocate this podcast. <laughs> it's time to make things happen. All right. So that'll do it for Aliens, a fun movie, a big time sequel. I could pretty much rewatch Alien and Aliens like every year, and I pretty much do at this point. Wow. I love them. I love Prometheus as well. Just really cool sci-fi action adventure, definitive 80s. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see if we cover more James Cameron movies on the podcast or not. They're always long. That's true, which makes it (laughs) tough. Imagine us doing a Titanic episode. (laughs) (laughs) Titanic would be fun to do just because it's like this... Billy Zane. An insane movie, really. (laughs) Just a crazy movie. God, how in love with Kate Winslet were you? Was I? Am I still? Yes. Yeah. I remember being in middle school, seeing Titanic when it came out, and trying to figure out like our age difference and stuff. I'm like, could we make this work? (laughs) (laughs) I'm in middle school. That was like me with Natalie Portman and Phantom Menace. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow... Even though Natalie Portman's like so young in Phantom Menace, she's still older than us. That's right. In a yeah. way. All right. <laughs> Folks. It always has to come back to something like that. Yeah. Ruin it. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Let us know if you'd like a sticker or have a listener request or just want to follow us for our tweets. I, I'm going to try to tweet a little bit more. I buy like Blu rays and 4Ks and books about movies. I should just tweet this shit. Absolutely. You should do stuff. like movies of the week or something where you just take a picture of like four of your Blu-rays. Well, if I watch them myself, maybe. Okay. I'm not just going to pick four that I didn't watch. I think you should because I feel like there's a lot of joy to be shared here. Well, whatever. We'll see. I feel like recommendations can cover that. Okay. That's fair. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast because you never know when we're going to release an episode on Thanksgiving at a random time on a random day. So you want to make sure you're aware of all the new apps coming. If you haven't listened to the Shawshank or downloaded it, make sure you go back. I also think Clueless was a great episode. Really hitting our stride. This is almost an extension of Greatest October in the sense that the busy season never ends till the end of the year. I always want to cram everything in with these episodes. That is a lot of cramming. <laughs> Follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983. Matt Crosby, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Maybe I need some rehab, or maybe just need some sleep. I got a sick obsession. I'm seeing it in my dreams. I'm looking down every alley. I'm making those desperate calls. I'm staying up all night hoping, hitting my head against the wall. What you got, boy, is hard to find. I think about it all the time. I'm all strung out.
Today I am announcing my resignation from Congress. Yeah!